Well, good morning. How are you doing? Good. Summer went all the way to yesterday. <laughs> I'm still hoping for a, you know, uh, encore, but because uh, I was supposed to paint one side of my house, but uh, maybe that won't happen. Uh, but we had a wonderful summer. I always appreciate when we do communion uh, the opportunity to see and I'm not sure what you're used to from your background, whether you're used to uh, coming forward or, or staying in uh, benches or whatever, but I always appreciate the opportunity to see the people that I am in the same spiritual family with. And uh, I just get um, really thankful as I sit there in, the, in the, my bench and see people streaming by and I just sort of recognize uh, many of them, and sometimes not all of them, but uh, I just, you know, I see there's people I've yet to get to know, but I also realize, uh, God, you put me in this family with all of these ones, and I, I thank God for you as we do that. Yeah, if you're in grades 6 to 8, uh, Hillcrest Teens is starting, so you guys can head on out, and we'll see you guys later. So if you're just joining us, we've started a series called Holy and Whole, Holy and Whole, and uh, this is, we're the third week into it, and um, holy and whole, the word holy deals with, um, it deals with the issue that we have in our lives about sin, right? Sin or selfishness or making our world all about ourselves and not about God um, is a big deal, and it really has a negative effect in our lives, and so holy is, is, is talking about uh, being rid of sin or, or our sin's power being broken over our li- or broken off of our lives so it's not uh, affecting us the same way as much. A whole talks about emotional uh, health. Uh, you might also say emotional maturity or growing up but um, leaving, uh, leaving behind uh, in unhealthy ways of relating and living and, and, and existing and thinking. And uh, we've really been saying that these two things go together, that spiritual maturity and emotional maturity are tied together, and we're meant to grow up in both of those areas, and God wants to work in both of those areas in our lives. So that's sort of some of the ideas behind the series Holy and Whole. Now, let me just tell you how that intersects with what we're going to do today, which is a little, uh, a little bit different. I made a commitment um, at the beginning of the year that, well, we, we as a church make a commitment Uh, that seven Sunday nights out of our year, we're going to hold a prayer summit. And that means it's a, and and tonight is one of them. It's the first one of this season. And a prayer summit is a coming together of the church to pray. And uh, we pray about a lot of things. We pray for our government. We pray for our church and and our advancement. We pray for peace in our city. We pray uh, for missionaries. We pray for personal needs. We, We do personal prayer for our own lives. And uh, it's an hour and a half guided prayer experience, probably different than most prayer meetings you've ever been to. I lead the whole process, and we just go through different types of prayer, and an hour and a half just blows by. It's, when it's over, you can't believe that it's over as quick. We, we worship, we, uh, we sing, uh, there's lots of different things. But we've committed to seven times a year holding this, um, this night of prayer called our prayer summits. But this year I've committed to something extra, and that is... Every time we're going to do a night of prayer or a prayer summit or an hour and a half on Sunday evening, I'm also committed to preach on prayer in the morning. Now, 
we're in the middle of a series, Holy and Whole, so that presents a little bit of a predicament in that are we going to talk about Holy and Whole or are we going to talk about prayer? And the simple answer is yes, we're going to talk about them both because prayer is a key to having a life that's holy and whole. Prayer is absolutely essential. And uh, it's, prayer is something that I think a lot of people struggle with. I struggle with. Uh, lots of leaders, lots of people struggle with. And, and I thought, you know what? You can never probably um, reinforce this enough. You want to keep moving the needle on prayer. And if you want to move the needle on prayer, you've got to talk about prayer. You've got to teach on prayer. And, uh, and you've got to practice prayer. So this morning I'm going to teach on it. Tonight we're going to practice it. Okay? So we want to um, not just become a church that has some prayer, which we are. We are a church with prayer. We want to be a church of prayer. We want prayer to be the engine of the church. We want prayer to be the thing that uh, moves the hand of God in all sorts of circumstances that we need him to, to change things. So let me just talk a little bit, about, well, a lot about prayer this morning. But um, also I'm going to tie it a little bit in with holy and whole and show you how prayer leads us towards a holy and whole life. Now what is prayer? Prayer is asking. Right? Prayer is asking, asking God for what you need. But it's not just asking. And that's one of the things I think that, um, that uh, we sometimes miss when, when we come to pray. Well, let's pray about it. Let's ask God, right? But there's so much more to prayer than just asking. And the stuff that happens before you ask plays a massive role in whether you live a life that's holy and whole. Oh, I didn't mean to rhyme, but I did. Let me illustrate. Our third son is almost four. I can hardly believe it. It's happened so fast. Um, we got a head start. Anyhow, our third son is almost four, and uh, sometimes as parents of, of little ones, you feel like your whole relationship with your children is just asking, right? Uh, can I have cereal? Can I watch Paws and Tails? Can I go to the playground? Can I? Can I? Can I? I want, I want, I want. I wonder if God sometimes looks down at his children and goes, I got an infant here. I got a child. Because all they ever do is one aspect of relating, and that's asking. And as much as I love them, I want them to grow up. I want them to have a more fully formed relationship with me. When it comes to my almost four-year-old, the asking happens a lot, but every now and again, there are those wonderful other aspects of relating together that happen as well, right? So at, at night, put them, put them to bed, and then when leaving the room, say, I love you, and sometimes you get a, I love you, back, and you're like, oh, that made all the timeouts today worth it, you know, just to get some sort of... <laughs> and if you're in the game right now and you're doing lots of timeouts, you're not getting any love yous back, just persevere, persevere. Uh, keep saying I love you. The investment's worth it. But it's like that's part of relating. Not just, not just uh, requests and answering requests, yes, no, or maybe, or later, or whatever you're going to say. But that's part of relating. Or the other part of relating that I really love with our four-year-old is, is, and again, I don't always like the process, but I do like the outcome when you finally get to, sorry, sorry, will forgive me? That's what I hear. Will forgive me? Yes, of course I will forgive you. 
I love you, right? So that part is, is really a normal part of relating. And um, so you've got I love you, you've got sorry, and then you've got thank you, thank you. Those three aspects of our relating to our parents, God also desires. Not more than, des- more than desires. God is training us up, just like you're training your kids to say sorry, just like you're training your kids to say I love you by initiating, just like you're training your kids uh, to say thank you. God is doing the same with us. God is doing the same with us, and it, it all comes into... Um, a, a more fully formed relationship with God to become emotionally whole, right? As we grow up, we come, become less childish in our relationship to our parents. That's the, you're supposed to, anyhow. As you grow up, you're supposed to become less childish in your relationship to your parents. Now, it's funny, because there's two words we use, and one is a compliment, in, and one is not so much a compliment. If someone says, you're being childish, they're not complimenting you. But if someone says, you're so childlike. That actually is sort of a nice phrase, right? And in fact, even in the Bible, we says Jesus saying that you've got to be like a child to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus put it in a very positive light. But what's the difference between being childish and childlike? Well, childish is being self-focused and it's being emotionally immature. That's what you mean when you say someone's being childish, especially if you're speaking to an adult. But if you say you're being childlike, it's, it's a sense, you have a sense of wonder, you have a sense of dependence, you have uncorrupted, pure faith towards God, right? So our goal is to become, to stay childlike, but to stop being childish in our relationship to our parents, but also in our relationship to God. So prayer is relating to God, and though it definitely involves asking, it involves so much more than asking. I remember the first time I taught on this, uh, these four aspects that I'm going to tell you about prayer, I was probably, it was over 20 years ago, I was in a high school classroom in Carrot River, Saskatchewan, and uh, a young a man in the school, young young guy, he was probably 16, his name was Keith, he'd invite me to come be his guest speaker for the, mor- for the, uh, for the noon, it was lunch hour, come be my guest speaker, I said, why, Where do, what do you have that I could be a guest speaker at, and he had a Bible study happening on campus in, his, in, his, uh, in this one classroom, so I came into his classroom, and I looked around, and it was Keith and about eight or nine girls. And uh, he was really, he said, I've been trying, Steve, to get guys to come out to this, you know, weekly Bible study, and I can't for the life of me get any of my guy friends to show up. And I'm pre- he was pretty embarrassed about it. And I just said, you know what? I think you're doing pretty good. And I meant it spiritually. And I also meant it in the other way. He was doing really good. Uh, <laughs> I saw all those eight girls looking up at Keith like, oh, you're so wonderful. <laughs> I'm doing a lot better than I was doing at that age. Anyhow, I can tell you that. <laughs> but that, that day I taught, I, just, I, I took four letters, and it, it, the word was axe, axe, and not axe, like chopping a log, or axe, the deodorant, but axe, the plural of act. So A-C-T-S. And I just took them through four words. And they were all Bible school words. Words I was sort of fresh from Bible school, so they were all theological words. I said, the first thing in our prayer with relationship with God is adoration, A for adoration. And then I said, the second one is C for confession. And then the third one is 
T for thanksgiving. And then the last one is S, and I was going to say supplication, but I thought that one's the worst of all. No one understands what that means. So I said, say what you need, right? <laughs> it's asking, right? And um, so I, I, I took them through that thing, and I, I want to take you through a little bit of that today too. Take you too. Not, and, and the Lord's shown me more things about this as the years have gone by, but it's, it's um, even if you know that, you could have just told me that across because you heard it somewhere else. Here's where the rubber meets the road. It's not what you know, it's what you practice. That's why today I'm going to teach for edification, information, to encourage you, to motivate you. But tonight we're going to practice it. Right? I remember hearing someone saying, you believe the part of the Bible you do. Because faith takes us all the way to action. Faith without works is dead, right? So you believe the part of the Bible you do. I remember hearing that and recoiling. I, I still believe parts I don't do. And I thought, but why hasn't my faith generated the momentum towards actually acting on what I believe? There must be something, must be some area of unbelief or some area of disbelief in my heart that prevents me from actually acting on what I, act, what I say I believe. So today, if you hear this and you say, I know this, don't think that's the end, because the end is, do I do this? Do I do this? That's where faith is taking us. So let's begin with adoration. Adoration, the A of the Acts word. Scripture exhorts us to offer praise to God. Psalm 146, verse 1 to 2 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do you see the theme? Praise God. That's what adoration is. It's praise. If you ever read the book of Psalms, 150 little songs, which we call Psalms, um, you can't read it without being deeply impressed that we are to praise the Lord. In fact, the final Psalm is sort of like, you know how you go to like a, a fireworks show? And it's like boom, 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 boom. But then they get to the end and it's the crescendo of all the stuff. At the end, and you're like, wow. That's what the last chapter of Psalms is like, Psalm 150. It's like, praise the Lord for his amazing deeds. And then it goes on to be like pulling out a full orchestra for the ending. It's like, praise him with the, the timbrel. These are all instruments from way back. The lyre. And play, praise him with the, uh, the cymbals and the resounding cymbals. So it's sort of like this building orchestra to this crescendo of praise. 13 times in Psalm 150, and it's not that long. It just says every line, staccato after staccato after staccato, praise, 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 praise. You want to know what the climax of the book of Psalm is? It's praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we're instructed to do it with all of our hearts. Psalm 111, verse 1 says, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. So there's a variety of reasons why we exhort, why we're exhorted to praise God, why we're told we should praise God. The first one is because he's a great God and he's worthy of our praise. Psalm 96, 2 to 5 says, Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. For that reason, for all those reasons, you might have caught several reasons there, 
we are to offer our praises and sacrifices to him. Um, or No, we're off, offer our praises as sacrifices to him. Sorry. Hebrews 13, 15 expounds on this. It says, through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We sang a song today, the mighty name, what a wonderful name, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. Right? We're doing that. We're doing it together. We're doing it. Now, hopefully not going through the motions. It's meant to be done with our whole hearts. It's meant to be done with all that is within us. That's part of Psalm 95. It gives us a lot of reasons uh, to praise the Lord. He's worthy of praise because of his marvelous deeds among the people. He's worthy because he's not just an idol like all the other gods they worshipped at that time. He's real and he's, he's greater than all those other uh, forces and, and things that people would worship. He made the heavens. Praise him for that. A few verses down, it says that he reigns over the earth. The earth is established by him. It says that uh, the Lord will rule with equity, righteousness, and truth. Again, all these things lead us to praise God. So praise him because he's worthy, but second, praise brings glory to God, and it also draws others to him. Psalm 40, verse 3, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When we praise God around other people, it brings glory to him and it draws others to him. Now, I'll explain how this happens in a little bit. Because you say, what? If I'm singing to God, people will be drawn to him? They'll just think I'm crazy. But hang on, hang on, we'll get to it. When praise happens in a corporate setting, now, let me say, praise including singing. Because praise is more than singing. It draws people in from the outside. See, those outside the faith not only need a proper explanation of the good news about Jesus, they also need to hear the testimony or the, the truth about how God has worked in our lives. So again, I, talk, I told you a little, few weeks back about I had an interaction with um, someone in my life who was sort of on the attack you know, they'd grown up in the church but got really jaded and, and distant from it. They were sort of on the attack, and I was on the defensive, and they were saying, well, what about this? And I said, well, this, and what about this? Well, this, and it kept going back and forth. And when it was getting to near the end, I just realized, you know what I need to do? I just need to tell them. I just need to put aside all of the, you know, attack and defense stuff, and I just need to tell them what God has done in my life. That's what I need to do. I need them to understand that I could never leave God because I've tasted pure, unconditional love in relationship with him. He's become my father. I don't have an earthly father here on earth anymore. He's passed away. But I have a heavenly father who is a better father. And he's done such a work in my life fathering me. It's amazing. I, I just got to tell, what was, I, what, was, what was I feeling? I need to praise God. I need to tell them how good he is to me. All this other stuff, trying to prove that, you know, you know here's my rational argument. Those, that's good stuff too. It's worth doing. It's worth pursuing that and understanding that. But at the end of the day, i got to say, listen, I'm not just a person who is subscribed to a whole bunch of ideas. I have a personal relationship with God, and that blows my mind and changes my life. And he's transforming me in areas that I could not transform on my own. 
So praise isn't just singing. Praise is singing. If someone comes in and is part of this body, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. You haven't come to that point yet. And you see people raising their hands. You see people shouting. You see them, uh, you know, passionately declaring their love for God through song. You might, it might be strange to you. It might be foreign. But you might have an inkling that something's happened to you these people. Something's changed these people. Something's impacted their lives in such a way that they respond like this. And it is the work that God has done in our lives. We've experienced his love, his mercy, his tenderheartedness towards us. And uh, we can't go back. Once you tasted the real thing, you don't want the counterfeit. We look for love in all the wrong places. This room is full of people who tell that story. And yet we've We've tasted what God can do in our lives. And uh, he's changed us. And he is changing us. He's not done changing us. He's, he wants to keep transforming us to become more and more like him in, his, in our character. So it draws others to him. Let me read to you um, Psalm 66, 1 to 5. It says, Shout for joy to, the, to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. How So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praising to you, praises to you. They sing praises to your name. And then verse 5. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of men. And then all the way down to verse 16. I don't know if we have it up on the PowerPoint, but this is the clincher. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. So yes, praise is singing, but praise is also just speaking about what God has done in our lives. And it draws others to him because they realize it's not just um, a lifestyle. It's not just a, um, you know, a, a set of ideas. It's... it's Transformed lives by becoming in relationship with God. Here's the third reason. We're, we're exhorted to praise God because that is how we come into and experience God's presence. James tells us that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. James 4.8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But how do we draw near to God? Well, James talks about coming humbly, first through submission to God, and that's in James chapter 4, verse 7. Then uh, washing our hands and purifying our hearts. Okay, so this is leading into the confession part. We're not there yet, but, but that's important. But then we also see in Scripture that we approach God through praise and thanksgiving. Psalm 95, 2-3 says, Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let's make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. So we come into his presence with thanksgiving. Psalm 104 says it again. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him and praise his name a key way to come into god's presence and experience him is to approach god in prayer through the prayers of praise and thanksgiving we praise him for who he is and we praise him for what he's done for us and as we do this god reciprocates by drawing us close to him with his his love and his presence let me give you a fourth reason why are we supposed to praise God? Because that's when we experience, that's how, one of the ways we experience the joy of the Lord, right? Psalm 1611 says, you made known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand 
our pleasures forevermore. So how do we approach God? Well, there's several parts of it, but one of them is praise. We begin by praising God. We recognize him for who he is, his character qualities, and we praise him. But then what comes along with that is once we're in his presence, we experience joy. Right? We experience his acceptance, his mercy, his grace. Man, I need grace. I really love grace. I need it. I need it. I need it. I need it so much in my life. There's so many moments where I just pray simply to God, Lord, I need your grace and I receive your grace. Because I know it's available to me because that's what the Bible says, right? When I feel like I'm a failure, I really wrecked that. I really dropped the ball. I really didn't do what I probably should have done or I didn't measure up or all sorts of different ways. Where do you go with that? I go to God with that. I say, you offer me your grace. You offer me second chances, third chances. You offer me forgiveness. You offer me leadership. You offer me comfort. You're gracious and compassionate. You're slow to anger, abounding in love. Okay, I'm coming to you. I need your grace. And I often say, right now, I receive your grace. Just download it, Lord. I, I can't go on until I've got from you what I can only get from you in your presence. And that is the joy of the Lord, right? All those things lead to having joy um, because we're in his presence. Here's the fifth reason. Uh, we can also be filled with peace and hope. Now, God is the one who fills us with peace and joy. In fact, in the New Testament, you find that's an, a common prayer. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. But how does it happen? How does it happen? Well, we are urged to pray with thanksgiving in all circumstances. Right? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What about when we're anxious? I don't know, anyone, anyone have anxiety in your life at any point? I think we all experience that, right? When we're overwhelmed with anxiety over circumstances that threaten to drown us, when we're exhorted to present our requests to God with thanksgiving, Remember, it's not just all about asking. We're, we're, we're in that, when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're stressed to the max, ask God to intervene in your situation. But ask with thanksgiving. Ask with thanksgiving. Ask with praise. Come before him in that way. Right? Philippians 4, 6-7, one of everybody's favorite verses. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then it's got this great promise on the back end. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So God promises our hearts and minds will be filled with God's peace. But it's not just asking. It's asking with praise, with thanksgiving. Here's the sixth reason. We... we come with adoration, we come with praise into God's presence because it increases our faith to pray. Say, well, I, sometimes, it's not the problem that you ask too much, it's sometimes it's you ask too little. Say, that's too big for God. Or that's too insignificant for God. 
or I think I'll just do it on my own. There's all sorts of reasons why we don't ask. And when you don't ask, uh, you, you don't get, right? That's basically how it goes. Uh, but pray, praise, when you begin with praise, you begin to see God as large as he is for those things that are too big. And when you begin to praise God for who he is, you begin to see God as caring as he is for those small things, right? Kurt said it this morning. When you see a sparrow, remember he cares. Every time you see a sparrow, remember he cares, right? When you see the cosmos, when you see the, you know, the stars align, remember how large, majestic, powerful he is. So, so when we, we begin with praise, when we begin with, it's, it's, like, it's like sometimes we come to God and we just have this little sort of box-sized version of God. And then it's sort of like, oh, I don't know, like the stuff is too big, the stuff is too small. I, what's the point, right? And that's where our unbelief is keeping us from praying. But when we praise, our faith increases and we pray more, right? Let me read to you about, yeah, Romans 15, 13. That God, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. May, may the God of hope, that's who he is, right? You see, I'm losing hope in my situation. Well, we have a God who, of hope, He'll fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that's in your faith, so that the power of the Holy Spirit may make you abound in hope, right? When our, our faith grows as we pray, praise, and as it grows, we begin to pray. Here's the last one. It's a spiritual weapon against the dark forces of evil. Adoration and praise is a spiritual weapon against the dark forces of evil. You say, well, that's interesting. How does that work? Well, you ever hear the story in 2 Chronicles 20? I'll just tell you it because it's a longer passage, but it tells the story of Jehoshaphat. He's a king of, his, of, of Judah, and he's facing the invading Moabite, Ammonite, and Moonite, three different groups. They're all invading at the same time, and uh, they're really outnumbered. There's really no logical way they're going to win this battle. Uh, the forces that they have on their side are not big enough to win. And um, so what do they do? They go to prayer. So they assemble the people of Judah and they come together uh, to seek God's help. And Josiah says basically to the Lord that this horde of the enemy that's so huge, there's nothing that we can do. Our eyes are totally and completely fixed on you, God. There's nowhere else we can go with this. This is only something you could deal with, and, and really, we have no other resort. And the Lord responds and speaks to them, say, telling them not to be afraid, and then also tells them that they're supposed to go out against their enemy, but that they're not going to do the fighting that the Lord will fight for them. They so believe this, they so believe this, that God is actually going to deliver them supernaturally. They so believe this that they do the 
something that would be utterly ridiculous if, God, if, if what God said wasn't true. They do something that is absolutely insane unless God is telling them the truth. This is what they do. 2 Chronicles 20, 21 to 22. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. This is not a rational battle plan. You know, you might send your infantry first, archers behind, spearmen in the right position. You know how it works. You've played enough video games, right? But, no, no. We're going to send the worship team first, and the army is going to walk behind for the experience. So, this is faith at a really high level. This is... uh, trusting in God. They realize the army we have is so puny. It doesn't matter if we sent them first. We still won't win. But God said he'd fight for us, so we're going to demonstrate our faith by sending out leaders of praise. We're going to send our leaders, the guys who really know how to worship God. And the guys who are trained for battle, well, they'll follow behind. In this, in this case, they're going to take their cue from the guys who know how to worship. And it says the results. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Jordan or Judah, so that they were routed. They lost. And all the armies uh, that had come against them were defeated. What had happened? Well, Israel's prayer warriors raised their voice to God in praise, and God defeated a physical foe. So praise is, sometimes we say, praise is a nice way to begin a church meeting. It's not a warm-up. It's not a time filler. At Hillcrest, sometimes it might seem like it's a time filler, especially those first 10, 15 minutes, but that's a different topic for a different day. It's not a tradition. If praise is something we just do mechanically, oh, it's song time, it's sort of meaningless. But biblical praise actually drives back the powers of darkness. It releases uh, angelic forces to do battle on our behalf, and it brings God's awesome presence into each and every situation. That's what praise does. Psalm 149, 5-6 says, Let the godly exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and a two-edged sword in their hands. Whoa, does one part of that verse seem different from the rest? It's all singing on your beds and praising God, and then all of that is arming them for battle, spiritual battle. The reason we're committed to worship in our church and, and, and in our prayer times and is not simply so that um, we'll have a nice song time, but we actually see Spiritual opposition defeated while we praise. When we pray before the service as a worship team, we often pray that. We realize that you might have been getting beat up all week spiritually. And then you come in here and you begin to worship. Maybe it hasn't been front and center on your mind how big your God is. 
Maybe there's a whole bunch of other things that seem really big. And as you sort of begin to look at some of these worship, the words we're worshiping with, and you begin to speak those things, have you experienced it? Have you experienced the change that comes? Have you experienced that suddenly sense of, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I I serve a great God who's bigger than my circumstances. And, And I can follow him into any circumstance and realize his shadow falls over me the whole time. I'm not alone. The things that seem so true, so immovable, so um, daunting, so oppressive, those things are small compared to the power of the God I serve. And so we, we begin to experience a freedom in our lives when we begin to praise God. We begin to recognize who he is whether that's spoken or whether that's sung. When we praise God, it's like someone put a sword in your hand and you, you're armed to fight back. Psalm 8, 2 is another great one. This one's even more, the contrast is even more severe. It says, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Isn't that sweet? Let's get the kids to memorize that. That would be a really nice one. But they also have to memorize the second half, which is, I'll read it all again. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Actually, I know a lot of kids who love that verse. Yeah. You've ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the, foe and the avenger. Not the avengers. They're the good guys, right? But the avenger, Right? What does the singing of praise from infants and children produce? Is it actually a spiritual force? Is there actually power in that? Can things happen spiritually? Can dynamics totally change if just simply children praise the Lord? Are there spiritual forces that are silenced? Are there spiritual forces that are opposed, that are limited? Because children or infants recognize God for who he is? Yeah. And the same is true for adults. Thankfully, it's not just children, but it's for us as well. So worship and teaching are all part of spiritual warfare. Praise is part of spiritual warfare. And uh, it changes the game when it comes to our prayer life. Now I want to end with this part. How do we praise God? First, we praise with our whole heart. Read, I read that already, but Psalm 9, nine verse 1, we, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. So true praise and thanksgiving is mo- motivated by wholeheartedness, right? Second, we do it with all our heart, but we also do it with our voices. So we might speak, or shout, or sing our praise, but it's audible. Now, it doesn't mean you, can think pray, you can't think praise to God. You sure can do that. You sure can do that. But I think there's something amazing when you declare it out loud. There's something amazing when you declare it out loud, right? I know for me, like, okay, I'm going to pray silently or I'm going to pray out loud. Now, sometimes... You can't pray out loud, the setting's not right, whatever, or it's awkward to pray out loud. 
But in other settings, you're alone, you're in your car, right? I got challenged, I told some of you guys about the challenge I got this summer, to worship the Lord in my car. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a, maybe you should think of this, right? The lady who I was talking to and who was giving me spiritual counsel was like, do you worship the Lord in your car? Uh, well, you need to worship the Lord in your car. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll receive that as a word from the Lord because I probably do need to worship the Lord in my car. I probably not, not just to think about my troubles, I probably need to declare the truth of who God is in my car. Because praise is not just something you do when you're surrounded by hundreds of people. It's something that you do when you're in the presence of God, which my car qualifies, right? So we speak or shout or praise. Psalm 147 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, for it's good to sing praise to our God, for it is, it is pleasant. A song of praise is fitting. How about shouting? Now that's strange for us, right? Especially in our culture. We're Canadians. We shout in limited circumstances, right? Psalm 31 33 verse 1 says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Wow. Okay, we're not used to that. But that's another way. Sing, shout. How about, how about this one? Psalm 140, or 47.1. Shout to God with loud sounds of joy. So you got your shouting and your singing together. So we speak or we shout or we sing, but somehow we verbalize that God is great and that he's worthy to be praised. The other way we praise is by appropriate postures. Now, this has been interesting to me, how your postures affect your praise. So uh, we have a weekly staff meeting, and part of our staff meeting is time of prayer and reflection in God's word. And then we usually end, and it's like sometimes we sit to pray, sometimes we stand to pray, sometimes we kneel to pray, but we try all these different postures. And it's interesting how those postures actually affect how you... How you uh, um, how you pray, right? But these are all part of it. Psalm 95, 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, the, the Lord, our maker. Okay, so kneeling. Psalm 134, 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Or Psalm 141, 2. says, uh, I, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting of my hands as an evening sacrifice. What does it mean to raise your hands in prayer? Right? Because that's mentioned many times in scripture so well i think there's a lot of ways to understand it one it's some people say it's surrender right surrender not like someone has a gun in your back but it's surrender right i surrender god have my whole life right i remember hearing a story of a lady just read it this week about how she was in um the operating room and she just uh given birth to her first child and it was by emergency c-section and so there's doctors and nurses flurrying around and doing whatever they were doing. And it just settled in on her this sense of, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't raise this child. I don't know. I, I, I feel so overwhelmed and I just cannot possibly do what needs to be done. And she just felt this sense of despair. And then right after it, she realized what she needed to do. And she prayed two-word prayer. A two-word prayer, she just said, I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm yours. I was reading her story this weekend. It said, 27 years later, this is when the story is written. She said, 27 years later, that prayer of giving her life to God right after the C-section has transformed her life. 
She talked about how God gave her more than enough to raise her, her son, more than enough to live for God, and, 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 and she's seeing God change her and transform her character. All these wonderful things she, she talks about. But it all started way back when with just a simple, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. You know, we had an uh, incredible blessing in our lives in this church. We had 17 years uh, with the same senior pastor, uh, Pastor Alan Buchanan. And some of you know about this, but when he was getting, uh, when his cancer was quite advanced and he couldn't speak with any degree of, he didn't know, like you didn't know which days he could speak and which days he couldn't, depending on his chemotherapy and all sorts of factors. But when he couldn't speak or sing, and he would come and be in the worship service with us, he said, he said later when he could speak, he said, the thing that really I had left was my hands to raise to God. That's what I had left. I, I basically, and said, I got so much satisfaction out of just raising my hands to God. All he had left was his posture. Maybe you're in a, you get into those situations, you know, whether you have laryngitis or you've got some sort of uh, something that's holding you back from being able to speak or sing your praises to God. You still have your posture. And Alan, that was his report. I remember him telling the story when he could speak on another day saying, I get so much out of the fact that I still can raise my hands to God. So we praise the Lord. We, we praise him with our bodies. We praise him with our voices. And what we're doing when we praise the Lord is, is we're focusing on who he is. One of the things that can be really helpful is just to focus in on one of his attributes, right? God, you're merciful. I need mercy. God, you're loving. Ooh, I've been looking for love in a lot of other places, but I, I'm coming back to you, right? Just focus in on, on who he is to praise him for, for who he is, and, and his character is one of those things. When you read the Bible, you'll discover attributes of his character, and that's a, a great opportunity to, to begin to praise. Now I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the cheat notes here because I want to sum up here. So you said you just talked about adoration. You talked about didn't talk about confession and thanksgiving. Well, let me give you the I'm gonna give you the cheat notes so you you don't go away feeling like you got you missed out. Praise will increase your faith and your joy. I want to make it simple. I said a lot of other stuff that's helpful too, but praise will increase your faith and your joy. Sometimes you won't ask because you didn't praise. You won't ask because you don't see God for who he is. And if you don't remind yourself of who God is, you won't ask. And you won't pray. For a lot of us, our prayer life is still, is, is, is um, stunted because our praise is not there. Because we're just like my four-year-old son. Just, I just ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. And we forget there's more, so much more to the relationship. And so when we praise, it'll increase your, it'll increase your joy because that's how you come into the presence of God. You'll, you'll experience more relationship with him, but you'll also, your faith will increase. And you'll find yourself 
asking more, praying more, praying with more confidence, with more hope. You'll endure in prayer longer with something that requires you to pray. If you're praying for a loved one that you want to see their life change, you'll pray longer because you praise, because you start by recognizing who God is. Now here, let me give you the cheat notes on the other two. Confession. Confession will empower your intimacy. Confession will empower your intimacy in prayer. If you, uh, again, I read that in James 4, if you want to draw near to God, first you humble yourself and make sure that you've, you've, you've dealt with stuff, right? And you know what? That'll give you confidence in your prayer. The Bible says the prayers of a righteous man does a lot or avails much as the old King James. It really has impact. But what does that mean? What, it's not just people who are made righteous by Christ positionally. It's people who are relationally right with God. You know when you're right with God, you're going to notice the confidence in your prayers, but you're also, the reality is the scriptures teach us that that, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. You're going to see more answers to prayer in your life if you're living an obedient life, you're living a responsive life. So confession gets us aligned with God, gets us in the right place with God. And then Thanksgiving, what does Thanksgiving do for us? Thanksgiving is going to counteract counteract anxiety it's going to counteract anxiety right some people some people have experienced what i've experienced i'm not sure if everyone in the room would have i've been in places in my life where i'm so anxious that that anxiety actually is preventing me from praying i can't actually get off the crazy cycle in my own head I'm just thinking about this and thinking about this and thinking about this and think I should pray. No, I'm thinking about this and th- and I just can't get off the hamster wheel. You know what'll get you off the hamster wheel? Thank God. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Seriously. Gratitude will free you from that crazy cycle and then you can pray. See, the enemy will use every obstacle to stop you from praying. He'll want you to think small of God, so you need to praise. He wants you to be distant from God so we confess and draw near. And he wants you to be so caught up in the trouble, so anxious and fearful. And so we we come to him with thanksgiving. We begin listing everything we're thankful for. And now we can pray.